0: Hey everyone, hope you're doing well. I want to apologize. You know, it's just been a long time and it it just seems that every time I hope to get back and to make a recording and to put something online, it just doesn't quite work out the way I'd like it to. But I <laughs> I'm sitting here in the back parking lot of a facility that was my first job. For those of you who know me or have known me, you probably know me from working here at a facility in Fairmont called Valley Worlds of Fun. Now I always wanted to refer to the place as Valley Lanes because that's how I remembered it. Valley Lanes, for those of you who aren't from this area, was a facility that had 16 lanes on each side of the building. So it had 16 lanes on one side of the building, 16 on the other side, and in between you had a bowling counter that ran parallel straight across from the kitchen counter and behind that kitchen counter up against the wall closest to the outside of the building they had a big window there a big area it was a little nursery for you know for children there and it was just an interesting place and i remember at some point they added on back here they added on an arcade to the side of the bowling lanes but this was a large facility back whenever I was young. This is where I used to come to bowl. I was in the YABA, the Youth Bowling Congress. I, you know, bowled with different people. There's a, a boy named Derek I remember bowling with. Uh, you know, just all sorts of people that I met bowling. And I met, um, you know, a gentleman that used to be involved with that as well, Ken Candell, uh, Laura Candell, someone I used to work with here at Valley uh, Valley. Her father was involved in that and in league bowling. And then as time went on, I became a better bowler and I became more of an adult. I ended up bowling with a lot of people here at Valley and down at Mid-City. So I bowled with Ken Kendall and Joe Fabre and, and Joe Palmer and Dave Holbert was somebody that I remember and Charles Carpenter and I could just drop all sorts of names. I remember bowling with Steve Carpenter and uh, just had a a great time bowling. I uh, you know, made a lot of friends and had a lot of good times. And you know, I I do miss the days whenever I worked here and and I was a manager here. And there were other people that I respected that were managers here as well. In my mind, the highlight of this facility, the 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 best time to work here would have been right before I started. Um I really liked it whenever it was mostly a bowling alley with an arcade. I did enjoy, as time went on, they took out some of the lanes on the one side and moved eight of those lanes to the other side. so They had 24 on one side of the building, and they, back where they had those 16 lanes, they put in a go-kart track. And people will remember they referred to me as the go-kart Nazi because I would turn people down. Uh, If you were good, if you weren't crashing the cars, if you weren't wrecking those vehicles, I'd speed them up a little bit. But for the most part, uh, if you were out there bumping and causing issues, I would slow you down. And, you know, we had some people that made the job a hassle, made the job a pain. And there were a lot of bowlers who weren't a fan of those bowling, or or of those uh, go karts on the other side of the bowling alley. And of course, if you're a league bowler, you you know, league bowlers are some of the <laughs> they're some of the most impatient people and they complain a lot. But you know there's something that I that I've thought about over time and let me say this real quick before I forget. One of the things that they complained about is when they'd get up there to bowl, they'd get ready to throw, you know, a ball and all of a sudden they hear go karts pile up and in, in the wall in the back of the facility. You have a car pile up, somebody hit the brakes, tires are screeching and caused an accident. And, you know, it, people don't want to bowl in a facility like that, unfortunately. And I'll say I had a great time here. I I uh, learned a lot. One of the things, I mentioned Dave Holbert. Dave Holbert was a manager here at this facility. Whenever I started, I kid you not, for those of you who said that I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth, you're actually kind of true. I didn't know how to mop whenever I started here. Now, I can tell you plain as day, my first day working here was was September the 4th of 2000. Uh, I just always loved this place. I've never remembered my starting date anywhere else, but this was always the place I wanted to be. And I remember I was, you know, working around, doing some things, and Dave said, go ahead and get the bucket and the, the mop and go ahead and clean the floor here in the bowling area. And we used to do that every night. We would mop the whole bowling area before we left. The arcade would get mopped as well, and uh, laser tag would get mopped uh, twice a week. And I remember <laughs> I remember mopping the floor, and Dave said, what are you doing? I said, I'm mopping. And he said, you're not mopping the floor. You're just getting it wet. And I, I kind of chuckled, and I said, well, that's what mopping is. And that's why I'm kind of hesitant now. To put down people who don't know who don't have skills, who don't have the knowledge to do a certain job, I hesitate because there was a time when I didn't know what I was doing whenever it came to that, and Dave was there to show me that when well, you put a little bit of weight into it, you put a little pressure into it, and you see those marks on the floor, you take those away, you you know work, you put in a little bit of effort, and you'll clean the floor, you'll get the dirt up you'll all these things you sweep the floor before you mop, you want to make sure that you're not just moving dirt around. You know, it seems so simple, but that knowledge helped me to become a better worker. Now, because of that, whenever I would mop the floor or I would tell a worker underneath of me to mop the floor, I would be able to show them how to do that. I was able to give them that knowledge. And at the time, I'm sure they didn't like it. At the time, I'm sure it was annoying to them. But they have a skill now that they can go forward and use. You know, those machines, those bowling machines, and I. this might be a longer podcast. I have no idea of how long it's going to go. I just want to ramble for a little while, and I hope you'll stick around, especially if you used to work with me here at this facility. The bowling machines that we had here were made by a company called American Machine Foundry, AMF, and they were machines known as 8270s. They were an older machine. I think they were from the 50s or 60s. But they're a very good working machine. They just take a lot of maintenance. Now, we had a book back in the back that if you would put your fist down on the table, that book would be about as wide or as tall as your fist is. It was just a massive book. But it explained how to do nearly everything that needed to be done on these machines. Rebuilding, cleaning, oiling, greasing, adjusting. And the thing that I remember the most about that book was the fact that it laid out Inside the book, how often maintenance was supposed to be done on these machines. And yes, they were good machines. They'd last a long time. They wouldn't break. They would come out of adjustment, but they wouldn't break very often unless they were abused. But one of the problems was they required a lot of maintenance. Now, whenever this was solely a bowling alley, I believe they had about six or seven maintenance guys. And I remember quite a few of them. And I'm not going to name them because most people don't know who they are but and uh but i I know that there was a lot of work just to keep those lanes going, and they said if you had twenty lanes or twenty four lanes or thirty lanes thirty two it would show you roughly how many hours per week it would take to maintain those. So it would say if you had a 40-hour work week, if you had maintenance workers back there for 40 hours, it would tell you to maybe do four or six lanes per day to try and keep up on the greasing, the oiling, the you know adjusting, all those things that needed to be done. And if you do that work, then those lanes will repay you by working, by giving you trouble-free uh, service. Now, there are other companies out there. If you go to Suburban Lanes, you'll see they have Brunswick machines. Those are A2s. The 8270 that we had here at Fairmont uh, Valley was also down at Mid-City in Fairmont. They also have 8270s, I believe, at Sycamore and Morgantown and at Compton in Clarksburg. Now, I've worked at Compton Bowling Lanes. I've worked at Mid-City, and I've also worked at Saber, uh, Suburban for a portion of time. Uh, and I can tell you, if I had my choice, it would be the, the AMF machine all day long. I was not a fan of the Brunswick. It was just a, to me, it seemed like a very troublesome machine. And the turret system that it used to drop the pins down into the table to prepare for uh, setting a full rack of pins, it just seemed to be a pain. Uh, The turret assembly had, I forget how many bearings. I think somebody said there's like a 100 bearings in that thing. And you definitely don't want to lose any of those when you're taking it apart or servicing it. And maybe they're lying to me. I'm just telling you what I heard. I never took it apart myself. But I just wanted to make this podcast because I really wanted this episode, rather, because I really wanted to talk about some of the things I remember. And, you know, if if you worked here, I really hope that you can kind of join me here for a few minutes. Like I said, this might go on for a little while. But there are a lot of things that I remember about this place that I wanted to talk about. I want to tell you about the first time I came here to Valley. You know, uh, <laughs> Mr. Martin and I, uh, we butted heads sometimes. He and I were kind of opposed on some ideas, on some other ideas. We were, you know, we were seeing eye to eye. But I remember whenever I started, um, I remember he came up to the high school, and I was At that time, I think I was 15 or 16 years old. I believe I was 16 when I worked down here. But for some reason, I didn't drive to school that day. And I remember being in a class. I think I had Mrs. Stutler's class, Lisa Stutler's class, and I was in uh, English class. And I got a call, and they said, Mrs. Stutler? She said, yes. They said, can you send Kevin Blaney to the principal's office? Well, that is not a good sign. Now, usually if you got in trouble, they just called you to the office. But I thought, oh, no. They're calling me to the principal's office. I'm really going to be in trouble. Well, I go to the office, and they actually sent me to see Mr. Newsom, the vice principal at that time at East Herman High School. And when I walk in there, I saw him talking with Bob Martin. And what happened, supposedly, was a group was supposed to come down to the bowling alley, and they were not able to find any workers to take care of this group. And I thought it was funny. He asked me, he said, well, Kevin, I wanted to, see if you wanted to come to work today. And I said, well, I can, uh, you know, as soon as I get out of, get done with school, I'll be down. And, uh, he said, well, no, I, I need you, you know, here real soon. We got this group coming in. And I said, well, sure, I, I could do that. And, and I said, I just, you know, I have to get excused. And Mr. Newsom said, well, that's not a problem. I think we can take care of that for you. You know, you're going to learn a lot down there. And, You know, I think he was being a little facetious that, oh, you'll learn more down there than you do here. But there's a bit of truth to that. There are so many things about this company that I really liked. There are some things I disliked. There are some things I would have changed. And there are some things that I loved. And I'll tell you what I loved. Now, those of you who, you know, who grew up differently than I did, you might not be able to relate with me to this. But I... Wasn't raised. I didn't drink growing up. I didn't do any drugs growing up. I didn't do a lot of the things that other kids my age did. I didn't get into a lot of fights growing up, although I saw a lot of people trying to have a fight here at the bowling alley. You know, and to me, I saw the value of what Mr. Martin and his wife were trying to do here. I saw that they established a facility where people here in the area could go. Where their kids could safely have a good time and they wouldn't have to worry about drugs or alcohol or or problems, you know it was just a it was a clean family entertainment facility it was a place where you could go and have a good time and not have to worry about you know kids getting into trouble. Unfortunately, that became something it never was intended to be. It became for a lot of people a place for them to drop their kids off so that we could babysit their children. And we did have some kids. I'm not going to name their names, but those of you who worked with me here at the bowling alley can remember a group of kids who their parents dropped them off all the time, and they were, they were like the valley kids. Oddly enough, there were a few of them who got jobs here. But they weren't bad kids. You know, they'd do things every once in a while, but for the most part, they were pretty good. They wouldn't get into trouble. But you know, I think the thing that hurt us the most here at this place. And this is uh it's kind of hard for me to say this because I'm like I said I'm sitting here in the parking lot and and I'm looking around and I'm just seeing everything become so overgrown and I'm saying, you know, it's a it's really a shame that it ended this way. But it just kind of hurts my soul. The thing that killed this company, the thing that hurt this business was word of mouth. You know, I, whenever I was the manager, and I'm sure the other general managers had to deal with this as well, when I was the general manager, I dealt with the labor board, the safety department down in Charleston. And they would come up and they would look at our rides. They would inspect those rides, the inflatables, all the things that we had. And they would make sure that those things were safe for people to use. And when people came in, sure, we might have some video games that would be down. Uh, We had some different problems, and I have my theories on that as well. But we had some issues, but, you know, it becomes this vicious circle, as they say, that you want to put more money back into maintenance. You want to put more money back into uh, the facility, landscaping, things of that sort. But when the public doesn't support the company anymore, then you have less revenue coming in. And when you have less revenue coming in, you have less money to pay the bills, and sooner or later it gets to the point where you're just trying to struggle to make it through. And, you know, I I remember growing up, Mr. Martin and his wife would do so much for the church, they'd do so much for the area. They would have lock ins here for for the church, for the congregation, and I I had so much respect for that. And you know, it <laughs> I remember it gave him so much enjoyment, it gave him so much pleasure to give the little kids at church just bags of tokens. You know, there used to be a button on the old keypad inside, and it was called, uh, it said Granda Tokens. I think somebody mispronounced it. It was supposed to be Grandpa Tokens. But I remember coming here whenever I was younger, coming here with, with the owner's grandchildren. And, and I have to say, Mr. Martin always treated me. Um, he always treated me like family, always did. But I say all that to say there's something I'm looking at that kind of is ironic. You know, the one ride that <laughs> was the bane of our existence here at Valley is the ride that outlived everything else, and that's the sky glider. You know, we had a lot of customers who would come in and they would complain and say, "Well, that sky glider, that ride outside isn't working." And I I hated to tell them, but you know that ride's never going to run, folks, uh according to the you know, the labor Department, the worker that came up to inspect the rides, we didn't know it whenever the ride was purchased. That ride was purchased before uh, I became manager, but they didn't know they didn't know it at the time, but that ride, I guess has a serious flaw. It's not a safety flaw, but it's a operational flaw and the gearbox and the motor assembly that spins those arms it does so from a very uh very centralized area on the ride but those arms are very long so you have a lot of leverage so those gears that are used to lift and to drop the people in those little gliders at the end of the arms there's a lot of leverage there there's a lot of force and over time those gears have some issues and i remember the guy telling me or i told him rather that this ride just must be a lemon because we can never get it working again he said that whole ride the whole company uh you know, every ride that that company built was a lemon as far as this this design was concerned. It was just a bad design. So, now that I've kind of given you the backstory, story, and I kind of laugh about the fact that that ride is still over there standing, even though everything else is is gone, let me tell you a few of the stories I remember. You know, we had a haunted house here. It used to be, I believe Winter's Choice used to have this building, or a building that was here in this area. And over time, they tried to change things around, and they built a haunted house. Now, we had a lot of money invested in that. Uh, I say we, I mean as a company. Valley put a lot of effort into that facility. There was a lot that went into that getting it right, getting it working. And we had some workers who would do a fantastic job. You know, I'm going to name drop a few names here, but I remember Chris Rowan was one of the ones who used to work in there, and he would get excited. Michael Hayes, a friend of mine, would work in there. Uh, just all sorts of people would work in that haunted house. and I always thought it was funny whenever parents would come out and they'd say, You scared my child. And I'd kind of laugh and say, Well, you sent your child into a haunted house. What do you expect? But it was a nice facility it was a nice the haunted house was a nice little uh it was a nice little addition to the to the company. but like everything else, if you don't run it the proper way, then it's not going to be as interesting and I will blame some people here and say that some people just didn't do their job and that's a shame. We had some people there used to be a time where we'd have two or three people working in that facility and it Got to be an issue because some people didn't want to actually work. They would, you know, have on their mask or whatever, but they'd open the door and say, "All right, guys, come on in." Well, you're dressed up like a, a goblin or whatever, or grim reaper, but they would just speak in their normal voice. Come on, normal uh, voice. Come on in, guys. We'll go ahead and walk through here, and we'll see you at the end. You know, and that's that's not the way to do it. When we were trained, it's it's an experience like anything else. But I remember there were so many things to that that I enjoyed. Uh, it's it's kind of morbid now to say it, but Joe Fabre had his own little, uh, I remember he had his own tombstone in there. And, and they uh, there's just all sorts of things in there. They had a back in the back. They had a, a Frankenstein that would stand up. They had a, a little wall picture on the wall that that picture would drop down and this little thing would stick out. And I think there was a, spider that would drop down from the ceiling there was the volcano room which was just creepy as could be a uh, toxic waste room there's just so much that i remember there uh, secret doorways secret passages and i remember we used to play this music and and that was back in my more slim days my slimmer days but i remember we used to climb on top of the walls there was no ceiling there there was no drop ceiling rather So you could stand and walk on top of the walls to get to different areas faster. But we also had doors that you really couldn't see. You just had to know where they were. And it was so much fun, you know, slamming doors. And and there was an area in there where I'd get in between in a corner. And, you know, when people would get close, I'd just hit those walls. They're, you know, wooden walls. It didn't hurt them. I'd hit those walls as hard as I could, and I'd scare people and, And I I remember you have to be careful because I remember we have a few people that would come through there that for some reason when they got nervous, instead of being afraid, they would swing. Uh, Their first intention was to swing, and and you would have to be careful that you didn't get hit. Fortunately, I never had gotten hit, but I know that some people did. We had um, had the laser tag here. We used to have uh, laser duel was the you know, the laser tag that we used to have. Those guns were different than the newer ones that we had. And then at the end, they got even uh, a completely different setup. But the laser door just had one button on the left side and the trigger. And, you know, depending on if you pull the trigger or if you held the trigger, it would shoot like a regular gun or a machine gun. Then we got the Lasertron, which was a company out of Buffalo. And we uh, we got those fests and we use those and uh and I tell you there's a a kid that used to work with me here at the facility he was kind of moved into maintenance but uh you know Dustin went with me we went up to Toronto or not Toronto I'm sorry but to Buffalo area right below Toronto and we went to uh, Lasertron's facility there and we were able to tour their facility see what they did and we we had a an opportunity to learn from them what they're doing and all the different things you can do with these vests. And, you know, we had, at one point, we had 12 vests on the green side, 12 on the red. And we had a nice facility here, pretty good size. And It wasn't just one story. We had some raised platforms and things. And they did get different vests there towards the end, and I, I really never messed with those. I never used those. I never really had the opportunity to learn much about them. But there were just so many things we had. The go-carts, I wanted to talk about them shortly. The go-carts, for those of you who worked here might remember, on the, I believe it was on the left side of the cart. Um, there, and I think it was on the right side now. It was on the right side, right behind your right shoulder. There was an orange plug that had about 11 or 12 wires coming into it. And that orange plug went down into a computer. Now, each one of those go-karts was numbered, and we had one car that looked different from the rest. It was what we called the Formula One car. But they all essentially drove the same way. It's just the Formula One car's steering was more straight up and down instead of reclined. But I remember with those cars, you used to be able to pull that orange plug. And if you would pull that orange plug out and plug it back in the car would go to unrestricted uh, unrestricted speed. Now, the thing you had to be careful of is where you put your hands, because if you reached back there and reached in the wrong areas, and to my knowledge, nobody ever did this, but if you reached in the wrong area, you could get your hand in between of the belt and the drive motor. So you had to be very careful. Those go-karts ran on four deep-cycle car batteries, essentially. And the charging systems that we had, this is just useless knowledge, but... uh, I'll remember this till the day I die. The chargers we had were fifty amp chargers, but they could be bridged together. So while one group of cars was out running, the other group of cars could be charging at hundred amps per car. Now we had an issue when you came back into the into the pits, you had to be careful because if people came in too fast, if you've ever messed with those little physics the little physics balls where you drop one down and it hits and one on the other end comes out, Same thing would happen with go-karts. People would come into the pits, and they'd just fly in, and they'd hit the brakes way too late, couldn't stop, they'd slide. Well, everybody got a jolt, but the person at the end got bumped, and if you were standing in front, you might get your legs run over. So you had to be careful, you know, but there are little things like that that they're kind of dangerous, but they're kind of fun. And uh, I just remember we had so much fun with those. The guys from Racer X came down from Morgantown, And they just had a ball on those things. Now, there were some people who came down and tore those cars up, too. And every time people would wreck those cars and they'd break a drive belt, you know, it's just, it was a pain because that took a long time to fix. And I know Scotty used to work back there on those. And, and, uh, you know, we had Lawrence uh, used to work on those. And Steve, we just had a lot of guys that put some time in on those things. Chad, a lot of people worked on those over the years. We had all those things. The go-karts were a lot of fun. Had a bridge in there. If if you knew what you were doing, you could really fly around that track. Unfortunately, a lot of people who didn't know what they were doing got into some accidents. And people started treating those as bumper cars. So I'll jump to the bumper cars. That's a nice little segue. Let me go ahead and open the windows. Here it is getting a little warm. So we had bumper cars outside. Now these weren't bumper cars like what you've seen in other places and they weren't the bumper cars that we had inside the building. Those didn't come until much after, till after the go-karts were gone. But we had these inflatable bumper cars outside and oddly enough they uh, <laughs> they they were a lot of fun but they were a lot of maintenance too. They were essentially a lawnmower engine like a a Honda lawnmower engine, but they had hydrostatic drive, so they would operate like a dozer. Each side, left and right, had a little, kind of like a lever that you could push forward or pull back, and whichever way you move that lever is which way that side of the car would go. So if you were in that go-kart, you could push one forward and one back, pull one back, and it would just sit there and do 360s. The problem was, they were a horrible design. Whoever designed those bumper cars, it was a horrible design. And then that was for a few reasons. One, they were gasoline cars, so you had to fill them up every day, and sometimes in the summer you'd have to fill them up multiple times a day. The track would get very dirty, so you'd have to wash that track off about every day, every other day. Uh, the pad, you would wash that off and use squeegees, and it would get dirty because of this horrible idea. They put an engine inside of the inside of the car. But they didn't put an intake or an exhaust on the exterior of the vehicle. So the vehicle is running on hot exhaust air. So it's just recirculating that dirty air inside the vehicle. So air filters got dirty quickly. Uh, that exhaust carbon and smoke and dust just settled all over the engine bay. Everything got dirty. And the worst part about it is is whenever you were running those, when you would go to refill one that ran out of fuel, You had to remember that all of that hot exhaust was sitting right under that car so that metal hinge that metal handle you would grab onto to open that car would just be scalding hot but (laughs) but they were fun and i think we had about eight to ten of those outside we had the slide the burlap sack slide that was a lot of fun Uh, i think it was actually called the fun slide i believe is what you know said it lit up and it looked just like the carnival slides. That's essentially what it was—was was a traveling carnival slide that we had. Nice little slide. We used to put pledge on that to kind of get it to go a little faster. You had to be careful. Some people, if they laid down a certain way, they could go too fast, and that last hump they would hop over. I'm, like I said, I, I understand some people might not, you know, really care about this post this evening, but but I just uh, I just thought it was a lot of fun. I, I'm gonna keep going for a while. And, you know, if any of these things kind of remind you of the times that you are here, maybe you'll send me a message and let me know. So the fun slide was a lot of fun. One of the things I enjoyed working on was the the boathouse, uh, working out at the bumper boats. Now, the bumper boats were an issue. Uh, it was a, a real struggle to keep the water clean. You know, one of the things that you have at a public pool or whenever, you know body fluids skin oils things of that sort uh rain all of these things the sun all of these things have an effect on a facility they have an uh, or on a pool they have an effect on the chemistry of that water now we would use chlorine and and uh different chemicals to try and keep that water clean and it was very difficult to do and i think one of the reasons is I don't think we had the pump size that we really needed to get the water circulated enough. There were some fountains that we had that were nice to have, but we just didn't quite have the filtering that we needed for such a large pool. Now, if you have a pool at your house, you might have a like an 18-foot round pool. It's four foot deep, four and a half feet deep. Maybe you have an in-ground pool that might be a little longer, but it might be 24 foot wide by... You know, I don't know, 30 foot long, 40 feet long, whatever. So your pool might hold anywhere from, we'll say, 6 to maybe 20,000 gallons of water. Well, this pool, this bumper boat pool held uh, closer to about 120,000 gallons. And it was so large that the fire department here in Pleasant Valley would come down and they would fill that pool. And it would take about four or five hours of constant pumping with a fire truck. And they would have to run the hose all the way from the church at the top of the hill or at the top of the parking lot all the way down. And like I said, it was a it was a long process to get that pool filled. But it was also a lot of fun. And I remember having a lot of Saturdays where I was in that pool uh, sweeping, cleaning, trying to get the, the dirt and debris off the bottom of the pool and that was just uh it was an enjoyable time, it was a really enjoyable time, we had a lot of people who would come down to do the bumper boats, we had a lot of people who would come down to do the bumper cars, and the, the climbing wall that we had that was interesting, four sides to the climbing wall, and
1: you know, I, uh,
0: I remember what it was like trying to change those cables out, and make sure that it was safe, and do all the checks, and that's one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is how many checks you have to do every day to make sure these rides are safe. You know, Kenny Wood or any amusement park, they have to do checks on those rides before you get there. And even then, during the day, they might have to shut them down. You know, one of the things I remember, there's a amusement company called Gamble, Gamble Amusements. And they used to come down, and I think they still do go to uh, the Mannington Fair a lot. But they used to be in Fairmont. They used to come out here to the mall back when we had a hills and things of that sort. But Gamble, one of the things that I liked is they always, from what I saw, they always did their inspections. And even during the day, sometimes they would shut a ride down and they would have it up in the air and they would be doing inspections and checks. You never know. Maybe something had had, uh, caused them a problem they wanted to fix. But it makes you feel good to know that somebody's paying attention to those things. And that's what we did try and do here. And whenever I worked in maintenance and I helped out in maintenance and I was over the maintenance department as manager, you know, we tried to make sure that everything was safe, that everything ran properly. And it wasn't, you know, always easy. One of the most popular rides we had was our free fall, uh the Valley Freefall. That ride was interesting. It was about thirty two feet tall, about the same uh size as our climbing wall. And uh you know, we had some issues here and there with it. But uh all in all it was a it was a very interesting ride. It was a very complex ride to understand, but it was fun whenever it was working right. It was fun to watch, it was fun to ride. But I remember we had to have a few times we had somebody come over from um come over from Italy, which is where the ride was manufactured. And uh it was always uh it was always a joy trying to learn something from them. Uh, just uh, on proper ride operation and maintenance and things of that sort, but you just understand there's a there's a lot to it, you know. And I look and I I really miss this place. I really do. I uh, if if I had it, you know, to do if I had a choice, if if I won the lottery tomorrow, even though I don't play, I'd uh, I'd love to to open this place back up. Like I said, I had a lot of good memories here, made a lot of good friends, had a lot of fun. Uh, worked a lot of lock-ins. Worked a uh, lock-in for 100 high school many times. They would come down after their prom, and uh, we just had a good time. Had good friends here. Oddly enough, I'll say, there used to be a time when I said Dave Holbert was the manager here, The uh, one of the managers. He was the bowling manager. He would work, and Charles Carpenter was usually working inside as well at the bowling counter, and There used to be a time when I started, and and Tessa worked here, and Chris, and Heidi, and Gloria, and Frankie, and just all these people I remember, (laughs) Justin. And we used to work, and then at the end of the workday, at the end of the weekend, uh, we would close. It used to be um, Sunday through Thursday, 12 noon to 11 p.m., Fridays and Saturdays noon to midnight. And I remember Dave Holbert would allow us to bowl. After hours, if we paid. We had to pay. Before we bowled, we had to pay up front, and then we would we would bowl. And, you know, the thing that I laugh about the most is this, and I also think this was one of the downfalls for Valley. I bowled a lot more when I had to pay for it. Now, that doesn't make sense to me whenever I say it. But whenever you get something given to you, It doesn't mean as much. It doesn't feel as important. It doesn't feel as valuable. And I remember we used to bowl games all the time. It was only 99 cents to bowl a game. And we would get our shoe rental for free, I believe, as long as we played for the game. But uh, we used to play. We used to have the, the cosmic bowling, as they called it, right whenever that came out. And that was getting huge here. You know, back in the day, before I was a worker here, they used to have a guy named Hollywood Hayes from WVAQ Lacey Neff used to come down they used to have DJs from WVAQ come down and and just so many things they used to do here it was a lot of fun this place used to be packed whenever it was a bowling alley it was always the place to be but you know there were always people who wanted to fight too and I remember there were kids who would come here to fight and I'd just laugh because they didn't come here to fight they came here so that whenever they started getting beat up their buddies would pull the person off of them you know i always said if you want to fight somebody go out into the woods go out where somebody's not going to stop it where you can really get your aggression out if you really want to do that but they didn't want to fight they just wanted to be seen as wanting to fight so they'd come out here and there's a time we even had to have um security working just to kind of keep kind of to keep the peace and to keep people under control but there are just so many things. I could go on for hours and hours about different things that happened here. and You know, I, I will say this. Um, you know, in the day and age we're living in where you have cameras everywhere, I will say if there were cameras here whenever I started, I would have been fired. And it wasn't because I was doing anything, you know, illegal. It wasn't anything. I was doing anything bad, necessarily. I wasn't stealing or hurting anything, but... You know, we all were stupid at some point in time. Some people remain that way. But, you know, we all make bad decisions. But sometimes those bad decisions are the best stories. And, um, you know, I just had so much fun in this place. And I'll tell you this story before I go. Those go-karts that we had, because the way that the bridge was made and the way those cars would come down the bridge if you didn't know how to come off that bridge, if you went down it straight instead of coming across it at an angle, over time it would cause the frames of those cars to warp. So when you would take the tires off that frame, if you set the frame down on the ground, the frame would actually rock forward to back uh, because it was bent. Well, we had a guy named Crunchy and another gentleman named Charles who came over um, I think from Europe, somewhere in Europe, to cut and re-weld these car frames. This is a long time ago. But we were back there in the back, and it was storming outside, and I remember they were there cutting and welding, and they had to go through all of these cars. It was a big deal. But, you know, this this building was creepy when the power went out. If you were back in the bowling area, back in Penn setting, when the power went out, it was really creepy because it was pitch black. There were no windows. And you didn't want to put your hands in random places to kind of feel for where you were because those machines could be dangerous if you got your hands in the wrong places. But I remember believing that the building got struck by lightning. There were certain things inside the uh, inside the facility almost made me feel like the place was haunted. Video games that were randomly turning on and turning off. The M&M machine was illuminated, although like the Pepsi machine wasn't. You know, and just different things. I think, honestly, what happened was maybe one phase of the power went out and another didn't. But there are just so many things that were kind of creepy, you know, going through that building and hearing different things turn on and kick on and off and things of that sort. But, you know, it was a wonderful place. I'm really sad to see it go. It would really do my heart some good to be able to bring it back and to, to get it kind of back to its former glory. Like I said, i really like it to get back to to being a bowling alley again. My goal was to get leagues back. My goal was to get the youth league back, YABA, and to to get this to be the destination. You know, it always irked me that we had people who would come down from Clarksburg, Morgantown, Pittsburgh area. People would come down here and say, wow, this place is wonderful. I never knew this place even existed. We'll be back. But we had people from Fairmont who said, this place is too expensive. I'll never come here again. And you know, the only thing I can think, and I'll go back and say, and then I'm going to wrap this up. The only thing I can think is when Dustin and I went up there to the Lasertron facility, we went to a conference, and while we were there, I asked the workers, do any of you know of any unlimited pass where you pay one price and you have an unlimited pass to do whatever you want for the rest of the evening? And out of about, Probably fifteen or so people, none of them raised their hand. In fact, they all said no they'd never they would never do that because they just you know that that wouldn't work and although i I think I think they tried to do something here for the community and make it affordable for people and to make it a very good deal. I think what happens sometimes is by lowering the price of something, you actually unintentionally lower the perceived value. I remember watching a show, I, I enjoyed watching a show called Bar Rescue, and not for the bar aspect. It was because Jake Tapper, I believe was his name, John Tapper, Jake Tapper. John Tapper. Um he would go in and he would tell these owners what they were doing wrong. And you know, I'll admit whenever I was general manager I made a lot of mistakes. I did a lot of things wrong. I also did a lot of things right. Um and I can admit to both. But I remember him saying that in one facility, he went in and everything felt cheap. The tables felt light. The chairs felt light. The door going into the facility just felt light. Nothing felt uh, like there was any value there. Everything just felt cheap to him. And he said just by changing the tables and the chairs and the front door and some things like that, they were able to raise their prices because people, when they walked through that facility, they felt like there was a perceived value, hey, these are heavy chairs, you know, this this is a heavy table, this door, when you open it up, it feels like a a bank vault, you know, this, this is a real neat place we're going to, and people were willing to pay more for the product there, and we had a good product here, we really had a good product, and we had some great workers, we had some bad workers too, but we had some great workers here, and we had some great training, those of you who are here before remember the Give Them the Pickle training that we used to do with Ken Long and his wife. You know, there was a lot that we learned over the years. There was uh, <laughs> a lot of growth here, you know, just in, in personal growth of everyone who worked here. But I say all this to to just say I, I want to thank you for being here with me. You know, it's kind of a shame I... Uh, <laughs> I still have a 301 key, an LS300, LS301, and 302 uh, for the video games, although there are none left to be had. Um, I think I still have my light key. I still have, you know, other keys, I believe. Uh, (laughs) And, um, you know, there for a portion of time they allowed me to come back and I say be a consultant, but they let me to come back and work on things and help out. And, you know, I, I always appreciated that. And as I said before, uh, Bob and his wife, Lucille, they treated me like family, and, and Mrs. Martin still does to this day, and I, I'm always going to appreciate that. I'm always going to appreciate what they did, you know, the, the lock-ins and the things that they did for the church and having meals here and things. It was just a, it was a real blessing to be able to have this as my first job. And I'm really going to miss it. I really am. It's, uh, It was a wonderful place. It was a wonderful place for West Virginia. It was a treasure, and I hate to see it go. But guys, I sure thank you for sticking around with me, like I said, if you worked here. Maybe tell me a story or two what you remember. I'd love to hear from you, see what you have to say. Well guys, thanks so much for stopping by, I'll talk to you later. You take care.